Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee, with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We're talking branding. Before we launch into this week's episode, let's have a reminder. First, we have nanoseconds to capture a reader's interest. We can capture that reader with three glances. The first glance is a cover that blazes with story. Our cover has to represent our story with three little words, focusing one on the protagonist, two on the sub-niche of the story, and three on setting, or another important aspect of the story. Glance two, we select images that tweak what our competition is doing. Those three little words, ever so important, got us. Then we narrow in to capture the mood or tone of our story. Glance three seals our contract with readers through clever titles and cover copy. In this episode, our focus is the first part of glance three, clever titles. Let's go. Glance 3. Brand through clever titling and cover copy. Whether online or on shelf, books have to snag the reader's interest, and we get only three glances to form that crucial first impression. Word of mouth and reviews might get a reader to our book, but that reader won't purchase when the cover is a turnoff or the first words don't pique curiosity. If a quick sample doesn't hook the reader, they will browse on. Our first job was deciding how we were going to hook the reader. What hooks the reader? We had two glances and five keys. Glance one, understand the three essences of our story. Glance two, clever iconography. Based on those two glances, we had six keys. First, a strong protagonist juxtaposed with the event. Our example was Ellis Peters' Catfile, a peace-loving muck who solves gruesome murders. Two, a niche market. Hitting more than one niche increases the reach. Our three focused writers, Ellis Peters and Tony Hillerman and Elizabeth Peters, all hit three niches. Their covers didn't always manage to convey the three niches, but their breakouts came or were reinforced when marketing used iconography to convey the niches. Third key, interesting settings with protagonists who are of and from that setting. Hillerman wrote Desert Southwest Mysteries with Native American protagonists, unusual when he began. Ellis Peters wrote about a monk in the early Middle Ages, a time of civil war in England between King Stephen and Queen Maud. Elizabeth Peters set her series at archaeological digs with a strong woman who knew nothing but was willing to learn. Steampunk, magic and mechanics in a Victorian setting, 
is another example of this reader hook. Fourth key, connect quickly to the reader, either through sparking interest or through being like the everyday reader. Ellis Peters knew that many people were interested in archaeology and crime solving, even though they knew little about it. The protagonist, Amelia Peabody, also knew only a little about archaeology and crime solving. Instant connection. Fifth key, convey the tone through the cover image. Stories of murder need dark colors. Stories with a femme fatale need to lure as well as repel. Looming evil can only be conveyed through positioning of objects. Different kinds of stories require different kinds of images. And key six, highlight any difference between you and your comparables in the marketplace. Showcase what separates your book from others. Then we hit our problem. Even with strong iconography, it is often necessary for the reader to pick up the book by reading the two-part market copy, which is the quick tagline with the description at the online retailer's book page or the back cover of the physical book. When browsing readers stop long enough to pick up the book, we have hooked the reader. They haven't bitten hard enough that we can catch them. We still need to reel them in. What hooks the readers? Iconography captures the reader's attention. They pause in their browsing, treading water while they take a longer look, maybe nibble a little, but they still haven't bitten. Now our question is what will change a nibble into a bite? Time to back up to glance one in those three little words. Just as they guided story development and cover imagery, they will guide the cover wording. Those three little words are the foundations for everything. Characters, plot, covers, market copy, and all promotions. So that first job is now over. We have our three words matched to our cover image, and we move into our second job. Understand our keys. We capture the sale with titles and market copy. Every marketing and cover decision is guided by the three little words. Covers will hook the readers but not catch them. An evocative title and great market copy for the book are needed to turn a nibbling reader into a biting one who will take your book to the cash register. Both title and market copy depend upon the three little words. If the cover imagery can't convey all three, then the title and market copy together must do so. Good market copy will capture the story and leave a question in the reader's mind. A question that the end of the book will solve. Excellent briefs also present the niche markets as well as the danger faced within the story. Titles are like a wink at the story. The market copy in brief is the guarantee. Market copy is actually two things, a tagline and a blurb. The blurb is the publishing industry term for the text on the back cover of a paperback or an abbreviated flyleaf of the paper wrapper for a hardback. Tagline is like the theme of the story, intended to catch the reader quickly. We'll talk about taglines and blurbs after looking at titles and how the titles work with the market copy. Titles with tricks. Besides the three little words, we writers also need to use the tricks of the writing trade. The following are 12 literary terms associated with book titles. All but the first three titles were taken from the 2019 Barnes & Noble bestseller list.
The first three just popped into my mind. Alliteration. Similar sounds in a short space. Gone girl. Antithesis. Two opposing words working together. Lovely bones. Illusion. A reference to a well-known literary or artwork or historical event. The Way to Dusty Death, which also uses alliteration. Figurative language. Three most common are simile, metaphor, and personification. Combined with symbolism for double emphasis. Our example, where the crawdads sing. Symbolism, a spark of light. Exaggeration, the 10,000 doors of January. Simple statement, while special tricks make titles memorable, nothing beats the clarity of a simple statement, the guardians. A pun or play on words, how happiness happens. A play on a famous saying. This one is based on the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, what happens in paradise. Shock value. The subtle art of not giving a fudge. Edgy. The hate you give with you, not as Y-O-U, but the alphabet letter U. Nostalgia. The world that we knew. Holiday connection. Yes, people buy books to read at holiday seasons, just as they buy books for beach reads, which are like holidays. Christmas in Winter Valley. Here is a short list of titles for the Perry Mason series by Earl Stanley Gardner. What do you notice? The Case of the Velvet Claws. The Case of the Lucky Legs. The Case of the Howling Dog. The Case of the Dangerous Dowager. The Case of the Haunted Husband. Yes, they all start with the case of. What else? Three used alliteration. Haunted Husband, Dangerous Dowager, Lucky Legs. Two mentioned people who might be important, either as the accused murderer or as the murdered victim, the haunted husband, the dangerous dowager. An unusual aspect is the howling dog, which might be a significant clue to solving the case. Lucky Legs looks like a femme fatale, who may have become fatal. Velvet Claws uses the trick of antithesis, the softness of velvet contrasted with the scratching sharpness of a cat's claws. Let's look at Victoria Holt's gothic romances of the last mid-century. Mistress of Malin, Lord of the Far Isle, Bride of Pandoric, Minfreya in the Morning, Shadow of the Lynx. What do these five have in common? Each describes a person. Three represent a woman. Mistress of Malin, Bride of Pandoric, and Freya in the Morning. Two present the powerful man to whom the heroine must be married, the Lord of the Far Isle. Shadow of the Lynx. Malin and Manfreya have alliteration. Those two titles, along with Pandoric, use unusual names. Both Lord and Lynx suggest an exotic power. Here's another set of Victoria Holt Gothic romances. Shivering Sands, On the Night of the Seventh Moon, The House of a Thousand Lanterns, The Spring of the Tiger, The Mask of the Enchantress. The Shivering Sands doesn't seem to fit with these others. Unlike the others, it uses alliteration, and in that the title has more in common with Mistress of Malin and Minfreya in the Morning. The others 
all have a noun followed by a prepositional phrase, creating a common rhythm to the titles. The Shivering Sands, The Spring of the Tiger, The Mask of the Enchantress, all represent danger. On the Night of the Seventh Moon and the House of a Thousand Lanterns, that creates a mysterious aspect. Nora Roberts is a titan in the romance genre. She's written more than 200 books in the genre, making her one of the most prolific writers still alive, and now she writes romantic suspense as well. One of her successes is in creating series with titles that create a clear brand. Remember, branding helps the consumer know, here's a book like the previous book I so enjoyed. Here are the first three titles in her McGregor series, which started in the mid-1980s. Playing the Odds, Tempting Fate, All the Possibilities. Her Stanislavski series was landmark, for this was the time period in which her name became known beyond her genre readers. These books ran from 1990 to 2001. Short titles and catchy. Five have names. Two use alliteration, and all six begin with an ing verb. Here they are. Taming Natasha, luring a lady, falling for Rachel, convincing Alex, waiting for Nick, considering Kate. A third series from Nora Roberts, The Donovans, captivated, entranced, charmed, enchanted, here are titles by Alistair McLean, an action thriller writer whose best books were based on the World War II or the Cold War conflict, although he has many others. One of my personal favorites is the Grand Prix racing book, HMS Ulysses, Ice Station Zebra, Night Without End, Where Eagles Dare, The Guns of Navarone, The Satan Bug, When Eight Bells Toll, Breakheart Pass, Bear Island, The Way to Dusty Death. Every title uses a danger word, whether it's a word that evokes war, HMS, and guns, and ice station, or a powerful animal, eagles, bear, or death itself, without end, the tolling bell, break heart. Can you identify the niche market of the following writer? Whip Pan, Bolt, Flying Finish, Sleigh Ride, High Stakes, Gamble, Blood Sport, For Kicks, Long Shot, Triple Crown. The last one gave it away. The writer is Dick Francis, a former champion jockey who gave up that career after a bad fall and turned to writing crime and thriller novels, pinning over 40 bestsellers. Finally, here's a selection of book titles by Phyllis A. Whitney, the source of much of my formative reading. The selection is random, but I was very deliberate in my choices. All use color. Some use jewels. Red is for murder. The silver inkwell. Silver hill. The fire and the gold. Snowfire. Domino. The moonflower. Black amber. Sea jade. Amethyst dreams. Silver hill. Hunter's green. My personal favorite. The Turquoise Mask, The Golden Unicorn, The Ebony Swan. Now, look at these titles, again random, avoiding the colors of the first list. 
daughter of the stars, woman without a past, rainbow in the mist, feather on the moon, listen for the whisperer, one of the scariest books I've ever read. Not horrifying, it's not gory, it's scary. Whitney has other titles, Columbella, my sister's favorite, Lost Island, Seven Tears for Apollo. Whitney is branding her titles for her audience, although her brands are not as obvious as Dick Francis or Earl Stanley Gardner. The reader familiar with previous books will be drawn to the next books. With McLean, you can see the action-adventure focus. With Roberts, you can see the romance emphasis, as well as the connecting links for books and series. This is what we writers strive for, a recognizable brand that will draw readers from one book to the next. That's titles. In the next section, we're into taglines and blurbs, also known as book description or back cover copy. All through July and August, the right focus is in a series on branding using Emily Lee's guidebook, Discovering Your Author Brand. A link to view images of the covers discussed is in the show notes. Worksheet templates and a video trailer script are available at Buy Me A Coffee. Find that link also in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.